0: Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Standfield drives by. On this post-indie edition, we're talking to two headline makers, Antron Brown and Erica Enders. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. One guy won top fuel, and Erica Enders ended up third in the Pro Stock points heading to the countdown. Bobby Bodie's 74 and he blows the body off the car. Going through the finish line stripe, Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a, by a day and a half. Both Manson and Hines bikes are out, and it is crazy town in Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here with the NHRA Insider Podcast. It is our post-Indianapolis edition, the Dodge Power Brokers NHRA U.S. Nationals delivered again as it always does in just a massive way from Donnie Beeler winning stock in a stick shift Camaro to Matt Hartford running the table in pro stock. He was low ET, top speed, number one qualifier, and the winner of the race ultimately the first time in his career he's won more than a single race in a season first time he's won the u.s nationals antron brown is going to be a guest on the show battling through a nightmarish situation and qualifying that left him outside the field until the fifth session ron caps wearing the don the snake prudome colors to get the job done in the presence of the snake matt smith wins pro stock motorcycle as gage herrera has a spark plug fail um, allowing matt smith to, to get the win not even allowing matt smith matt smith driving away from him to get the win and so It is a race. I was happy to be there from the beginning to the bitter end. I got there on Tuesday. We did a sportsman dinner on Tuesday night and began the sportsman racing qualifying and time runs on Wednesday. And, you know, to be a part of that thing from the start to the finish is is my favorite part of the whole year. To see the entire story unfold, whether it's in class eliminations, whether it's in the comp cash clash that we had on Friday for the biggest, richest comp race of all time. Thanks to Roof Tech and Roger Brogdon for that program, whether it's the Dodge Hemi Challenge and Steve Camella just running eight 30s the entire weekend. Jimmy Daniels running in the 30s, uh, side-by-side 30s in the final. Uh, we can go to pretty much every single class of competition in the NHRA. That was there. Sean Bellamure winning a squeaker of a final over Doug Gordon to keep a flicker of championship hope alive. Um you know, you go right down the you go right down the list. Top alcohol dragster was fantastic. I, I I just don't know, I don't know where anybody would find a a flaw in the armor, if you will, of the U.S. national <clears throat> the U.S. nationals in 2023. So as I mentioned, a guest today will be Antron Brown and Erica Ender's. The reason we're talking to Antron, of course, is the fact that he and his team lived the lives of of ten men over the course of a weekend, a weekend that left them going to bed two nights in a row, not qualified, getting in the field at the final shot, and then taking home uh, a very memorable U.S. Nationals victory over Steve Torrance in the final round. On the other side of it, we have Erica Enders, and the reason I want to talk to Erica, obviously she was fired up over the course of the U.S. Nationals, but she landed third in the points going into the countdown. She's 32 points out of first right now. This was a car and a team that was mired down somewhere around 14th or 15th going through the spring and early part of the summer I want to talk about the evolution of that I want to talk about the growth going forward um, and I want to talk about what she looks like and, and feels like for the countdown of the championship she is in a unique position in that um, the last couple of championships she's kind of let it wire to wire in terms of the countdown so she comes in not the number one seed she comes in not that far outside the realm of reason for the uh, for the chase to the title. Same so can be said for Antron Brown, he is in an amazing place, winning Brainerd and Indy back-to-back, similar to what he did last year when he won Topeka and then won the U.S. Nationals. But last year he came in down the depth chart, if you will. He is in a much better spot here for 2023. So those are the two conversations what racers we're going to have. If there is anything um, that I feel like I want to talk about regarding the event in terms of its overall you know, execution and everything else, the, the idea that the u.s nationals um is is has lost its luster or does not carry the same excitement or the same unrelenting type of action that it has for so many years for those of you that have ever been uh you know that for those of you that have never been i can maybe understand why you get that impression but until you're there and experience it. I had a couple of friends, first timers, uh, guys that are in the media, guys that have covered drag racing a long time but have never done the US Nationals that left not shell shocked, but they left just blown away by the whole size and scope of the race. The fact that it just doesn't stop for days on end. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of runs. And it is a perpetual motion machine to a degree in drag racing that starts on Wednesday and obviously ends on Monday afternoon of the the beginning of the following week. And that's something that you have to experience to really understand it. The gravity of a win at Indy is not just the name on the trophy, not that it just says Dodge Power Brokers U.S. Nationals on it, but it's for what it represents, more qualifying runs, more long days, more long nights, more effort, more heat, more you know, fatigue mental and physical than anything else. The sportsman racers that start on Wednesday and then basically get one round of competition a day, you know, there are guys that there are guys that were eliminated from the U.S. Nationals at 10 20 AM on Thursday. And as shocking as that is, that's when eliminations have to start for the sportsman cars. They get their time runs in Wednesday and we start eliminating them on Thursday. And so there are also racers That win that first round Thursday, and then they win that second round Friday, and then maybe they get a couple on Saturday, and sometimes they get nothing on Sunday, and then they have to really run it to the end on Monday. So, you know, that idea of being a sportsman racer and being able to turn it on and being able to be present for those moments when you know you got one shot, you have no ability to develop rhythm outside of very unique circumstances at this race. And that's when the guys that, and women that do develop rhythm on the days where we have multiple rounds of eliminations later in the week, those are when you really see, to me, who the true all-stars are. Because when you can go from the singular victories per day to then stringing together a couple, two, three, four, and then carrying that forward to Monday when you may be just simply running your final, it's insanely hard. I would argue it's harder than even running in a professional category because at least a professional category, yes, you have more runs, but it follows a fairly similar cadence. Friday night, the hero session of qualifying. Saturday, you get a couple. Sunday, you get a couple more. Monday, you go race. It's longer, but at least it allows a team to develop some cadence, some ritual, some uh, normalcy. Add to the fact that the majority of the teams and the crews live in the Indianapolis area, so they're able to sleep in their own beds at night, which is a um, a, a benefit. But it's still a grueling, nearly impossible task. And, you know, all this stuff is what I want to talk to um, both Antron and, and Erica about. But, you know, the Antrons win, and, and I really want to talk about Ron Capps' win for the moment here, and, and Matt Hartford. Uh, we're going to catch up with them in the coming weeks, but... You know the unveiling of Ron Cap's car on Friday. I was uh, fortunate enough to be part of that. We did q and A Q&A session with the media uh, after the body was unveiled. The crowd was going nuts immediately. It was, you know, as lame as it is to say. Maybe it's it sounds like I'm being overly dramatic, but it was actually breathtaking to see that car when they rolled the they rolled the cover off it. To see the crew wearing those coordinated shirts. To see the level of detail in the in the wrap and how it really was true to form, how Napa stepped up and allowed this to happen. So they, you know, Napa, of course, was shown on the race car. It was there in the quarter panels. It was there in the hood, but it wasn't there in the typical, you know, massive see it from space size that we're used to seeing that Napa logo. In the end, it was a brilliant decision by them to sign off on this going forward. In the end, it was the perfect scenario for Don the Snake Prodome to grant license to Ron to do this. We talked to Snake, and he said, you know what, I've been asked to do this a lot, typically on nostalgia cars, and he just wasn't into that. That wasn't what he wanted in in this scenario, but when Ron came to him to do it, there was a couple of things that he said very prominently factored in his decision. One, the lifelong relationship he's had with Ron Capps is the biggest one, but secondly, the fact that the car was capable of winning the race. We know how much of a competitor this guy is still to this day at 80 years old, so the idea that he would have his name on uh, on something that wasn't even uh, able to win was not appealing to him at all. But when this came forward and he knew that Ron and the team could win the whole thing, that was a big deal. And it worked out perfectly. Obviously, Ron had a great run um, over the course of qualifying. He qualified well. Of course, he got called out in the first round of the Pep Boys All-Star Callout by Robert Height, which was a baller move by Height. He was able to stop Ron in the first round. The logic there was it was the only round he was guaranteed lane choice, and if he was going to win the thing, he knew he was going to have to beat Caps at some point. So why not try to stick him over in, again, not the bad lane, but maybe the more challenging lane, and then see if he could win, and he did. And then Ron goes on to win the Eliminator, of course, on Monday. That was fantastic, and that was, you've seen the photos. It's been, to me, one of the most photographed, one of the most hyped-up things that's happened in a long time at NHRA, and rightfully so. The storybook ending of him winning the race, driving off into the Indiana afternoon for a victory, was just absolutely awesome. Matt Hartford had a career weekend in what is turning into a career season. He goes into the countdown of the championship as the number two seed. He has never been this close. He has... Had good cars over his career. Obviously, if you're a guy that wins at least one race a season, makes final rounds, you have a good car. But this year, Eddie Granaccia, KI, Adam, Matt's whole team, including Matt, have been better than they ever have been together. Matt has gotten, admittedly to himself and even to observers like me and everybody else, has gotten in his own way once or twice. There is not a racer in the world that doesn't get into their own way once or twice over the course of a season. But the difference to me this year for Matt Hartford is that he seems to be learning from those moments. He is a very intelligent man. He is a CEO of a technologically advanced company that produces piston rings for everything from Formula One cars to massive industrial air compressors and everything else. He's a nuclear engineer. The guy's brilliant. He's also a racer. And he's also a guy that has gone up there with a plan, and that plan has occasionally gone sour on him I love the way he raced Indy and I don't know if that is speaks to his car I don't know if that speaks to his mental approach I don't know if that speaks to maybe a comfort level that he knows he's got performance but he raced Indy in a way that I'm not sure I've seen him race a race in a long time and I don't know if that was intentional or not but it was successful I said it before I'll say it again number one qualifier Louis T the meat top speed of the meat wins the race That is as perfect as it can get in drag racing. That is as perfect as you can have a weekend in this sport. And to have it at the U.S. Nationals takes it to an entirely different level in in the next year. I'm interested to see how Matt handles the countdown. I'm interested to see how he and Eddie and KI, Adam, the entire group. I'm I'm interested to see how they lock in because they race a little bit differently than everybody else. And I mean that in a very positive way. There is a vibe there that is different and I like it. They're fun people to hang out with. Matt is always entertaining to talk to. Matt will share the thoughts, good, bad, or otherwise, about how he feels like things are going, how he feels like he's doing, how he feels like the team's operating. It makes him a more compelling guy to talk to, in my opinion. And so because of the fact that they have – they got some swagger. They always have swagger, but now they really got some swagger. I think they have – a more and beyond any other season, a more genuine belief that they can be champions. They're fast. They've always been fast. They're good. But this is a team now that really, truly and utterly believes that they can be champions. And we get to watch that belief translate into results or not. Starting in Maple Grove, Pennsylvania, we can change now. Well, I guess about a week now. So, that's going to be fascinating. Dallas Glenn, Matt Hartford, Eric Anders, your top three in a points. And, and there is a pretty tight spread in other places as well. In top fuel, Justin Ashley goes into the countdown as the number one seed. If Justin Ashley and his team, and I firmly believe that they did, learned a lot from what was a painful countdown for them last year, they may be very difficult to beat. They may be near impossible to beat. When we see... The car and the driver that showed up in the mission too fast, too tasty challenge at the U.S. Nationals on Saturday, that is an unbeatable combination. It is unbeatable. When a guy can be seventeen on the tree and his car can go down there and rip off runs per the environmental conditions that are top one, two, or three in the field, you're not beating that car. So they do that a lot. And the idea now for the next six races is to even do it more frequently than they have been. Yes, they came up short at the U.S. Nationals, but they still acquitted themselves very nicely. They still look, feel, sound, and appear as the championship leaders. They just have a guy that is now starting to breathe down the back of their neck in the form of Antron Brown. It was a great week. And I could sit here and go on for an hour and a half about how great a week it was. But whenever you leave the U.S. Nationals and you're exhausted and you're smiling and you are remembering things with clarity and with impact, that means it was a spectacular running of Indy. It hits different. It lands different. It is different. And if you don't believe so, I will will maintain this. You're wrong. You are wrong. I don't know of a single person that was there on the property, whether for a day or for a week, that didn't look around at some point and think, my God, this is awesome. It was hot and it was sweaty and it was nasty some of the days, but we had action for days. We had great breathtaking stuff going on in all categories. And we left there with champions that are worthy in every single class. And they all have such spectacular stories behind them. It was great. It was the capper of the regular season. It was the perfect capper to the regular season. And it brings us into the playoffs with a gust of momentum and a huge audience. We had over a million people watch on Sunday, and we averaged, I think, close to a million on Monday as well for the elimination shows. It's just everybody showed up. Whether you showed up at home and watched on FS1, thank you, and Fox, whether you showed up in person and sat in the grandstands and sweat with us, thank you, Um it was, just, it was just the race of the races. The race of all races every year is the U.S. Nationals. And now we go to Maple Grove. We have our NFL-adjacent race of our NHRA and Fox team. Huge weekend for us. Huge weekend for drag racing. Going to be millions of people watching, and we get to see who leaves Maple Grove Raceway in Reading, Pennsylvania as the true championship leader. So there's a monologue for you. A love note, if you will, to the U.S. Nationals Dodge Power Brokers version 2023. When we come back, we'll have our first guest on the show, Antron Brown, who won Brainerd, who won Indy, and who may win the championship in 2023. Stay with us. All right, we are back here in the NHRA Insider with our first guest. He won the U.S. Nationals. He won Brainerd. He lived the lives of 10 men over the course of four days. Antron Brown, how you doing, man? I'm doing good,
1: man. Doing good, brother. uh... I, I don't know, man. I think I'm dreaming, man. I, don't, I think I'm not even woke yet, man.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. That was one of the things I want to ask you about as far as dreams and waking up. Because you went to bed for two nights in a row, not qualified at Indy. And that's the only place on our tour you can do that. You can't go to bed Friday or Saturday night anywhere else in drag racing and not be in the show. So that, that had to have been short night's sleep.
1: We had a couple of gremlins in there that was biting us. And we had to figure it out. You know what I mean? And... Uh, that's what really got me going and I was like man how can we get this thing done and then <sighs> excuse me and before you knew it before you knew it we were on the outside looking in because we were in the show yeah we actually was in the show for a while so it wasn't like we weren't never in the show we were in the show but then when we got bumped out we like oh lord
0: here we go <laughs> <laughs> and and look I think you know when I look over back I look back over the weekend for your team it's like it's to me. It's a study in being professionals. It's a study in how long you guys have worked together. I know that there was no panic. There's never any panic with you guys.
1: No, no, like like uh, we didn't get panicked when we were actually in that situation. The the panic didn't start happening until like you know until the fifth run. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> run and we're addressing it to try to fix it and it's not fixing it and uh engine zinged up with no load on it and then the fourth one we dropped the hole because our clutch pack just wasn't acting right and then we got back and said we just got to make a change we got to make a change and that's what makes the what made the situation have so much pressure to it is that the track was hotter yeah and then it was nastier and you had to run faster than the eighty two. So you could just say, Oh, we gotta run an eighty five. That's what we already had. We had an eighty five that wasn't a show from a run that we dropped the whole one where yep. our car should have ran like a seventy five. You get what I mean? Yeah. So we're like, All right, well, we just can't do that. We got like we gotta go down the track. And what happens is you don't know where the track can hold it at and to run those types of ETs you gotta get the car going early, yes, which will put you into a lot of trouble. So that was the that was the, the margin it was very thin margin and uh <clears throat> brian and mark we all sat up there in the lounge and, and brian looked at me and goes well this is what we could do he goes we're just going to put this in and uh we're just and then we're going to we're going to put it on a q3 run from brainer and it should go right down there it should it should run between that 79 and 80 flat and that's what it did it ran at 80 flat and it got us in the show and like it was the longest 3.8 seconds i ever driven <laughs> in my entire life like I want to start line, I'm like oh it feels good there is up the engine's not up it's actually and the car's moving forward I'm like that's awesome and then uh I got there and said oh don't spin right here because our car gets ghost between like uh, the sixty foot and three thirty and I made it to three thirty. I said, We're good there. I said, All right, this is where it comes one to one at five hundred fifty feet is coming down, it's coming down. Don't pull them loose, don't pull them loose. And I'm like, I, and I felt a little bump in the track. I'm like, oh no, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and then and then it dropped through that section there. And then when it got to the big end, I said, Don't you drop a hole. Don't you drop a hole. Don't move to the left or right. Stay stay right. Stay right. And then boy went through that trap under power. And I saw 327 mile an hour, I looked up and saw that 380, I was like,
0: there we go, baby, there we go. So you're telling me I got a chance, yeah. That's (laughs) right, right. that's right. And we still had two cars to go, Yeah. but in hindsight, I'm gonna be honest with
1: like you know how people say they get nervous and stuff like that, I actually felt comfortable. Because what I mean by comfortable is like the cars that had to come up, like you had Dixon's car, and you had Buddy's Hall car, and those cars made some great runs, when the track was really, really good. Yes. But the track, the track wasn't that good. And for them to be able to make that run, they would have to literally like, they have to they throw like a, throw like a run of their relies on the on the line, you know what I mean? Yeah. For those for those conditions. For those conditions, not for the conditions we have Friday night.
0: Yeah, it makes total sense. It um and yeah, for for that run you made and and it ended up being if I remember correctly, it ended up being one of the best runs of that fifth session when everybody was really trying to get themselves kind of figured out, I think, on a almost on a race day program. So, you know, you, we get to Sunday and things play out in the best possible way for you guys. You you run a great race um, we made the joke on one of the qualifying shows that, you know, you, you now become the most dangerous 15 qualifier in U S nationals history. And turns out you were, uh, so does it even matter in the sense of for a guy with your level of experience and amount of long time you've been doing this, does that number next to your car on the qualifying sheet matter when it comes to Monday? The fact that you guys yeah. were there to race, did it, did 15 even bother you in, in any sense once you were in?
1: No, it did not. It it honestly, Brian, I have been qualified in all kinds of different spots yeah. throughout my top fuel career, 11th, 12th, 13th and stuff and won from all those positions, not yeah. the US Nationals, but at different races. So, so for me, that wasn't the deal that got the my our main deal was is thinking about what number we had to run to beat Brittany first yes. round because because they usually first round when it's cool collective, they throw a big number out there oh, yeah. and and to be honest with you, we both have problems. Like Brittany blew, like she, she backfired and blew it up there. She dropped the hole first. The car dropped the hole yep. and then it blew up. So so on ours, we shot a spark plug out at 500 feet. Oh, wow. Our car our car shot a spark plug. If you look at the numbers, a lot of people don't look at them. We only went 284 mile an hour at half track and we went 2.98 seconds. Okay, it shot a plug out there Then we shot another plug out at 700 feet We shot a plug out number two And a, <laughs> and a spark plug came out number four And we only went 320 miles an hour We should have went like yeah. 334, 335 Our car was on a 70 flat run That's what we put it on We put it on a run that was similar To when we ran in Brainerd E1 Gotcha. And, 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 and we went a 74 With all that stuff happening Like we were down 10 mile an hour at half track and then we're down another 15, fourteen mile an hour at the at you know at the thousand foot because we had one plug go out and the another part plug shot out. And in hindsight, Brittany was right there with us, but we didn't even make it to half track with with yeah. all of our cylinders because we shot those plugs out. So so in hindsight, we've got lucky on that step But then she actually backfired too, that gave us the win. So our seventy four was in line to run a seventy flat. Like even if we just. Had a normal back half because we're at a 0.75 back half. We had a normal 73 or 72 back half. That's a 71 right there. We're not even counting that we lost speed to the, to the half track mark.
0: Yeah, so, that, and that would have put you right in league with Doug Coletta, who ran that 69. So, yeah, oh, yeah. so that's so, we, yeah,
1: we've been close. I, yeah. I wouldn't say we would have ran a 69, but I would say yeah. that we would have ran a high 69 or a low 70s, yeah. like a 70 flat, 70, 70 point, like anywhere from a 69.8 to like a 70 with a 5 if we just put our numbers at where we lost ET at.
0: And look, I, how much the Brainerd experience obviously has value anytime you win a race and you go those rounds, but like you said, this mirror imaged Brainerd to a degree in that first round was fast and then you really had to get technical with it for the rest of the day when the temperature is 90 some degrees and the track comes up to, what, 125, 130. So, how much of a mirror image was performance-wise or even tune-up-wise was the whole day from Brainerd as opposed to just the first round? Well,
1: I'll tell you what, the tune-up the one thing is the tune-up deal was was similar, but where it varied from Brainerd just a little bit, we had a lot more water grains here in Indy. Okay. So the water grains were what was higher, but where image was the track conditions were very similar, except for Brainerd it was a little bit better. It was a little bit better, even though we had cloud cover coming in out yeah. of Indy. I just think this the more all the different race cars that run up the racetrack makes the track different too sure. that we have in Indy that a lot of people never think about because a lot more cars at Indy and uh, and I think what it did was the track was predictable like uh, in Brainerd you can run mid seventies yes during the day here if you have to run like a high to low eighty was good like a seventy eight to a eighty was good. I think I I forget somebody did run a seventy five one lap or something like that didn't it was it Salinas in it was lap?
0: yeah Salinas uncorked one and everyone went whoa oh, yeah
1: oh, oh Q five that yeah. was Q five Salinas Q5. went seventy five Q five was a seventy five which which that was that was a good run and once we got back from Q five and saw our eighty we could have ran the same way also. You know what I mean, but yeah. but in hindsight, you will never try to do nothing like that if you're not in the show. Trust right. me. So, <laughs> right. so 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 With that being said, on race day, uh, the second round when we raced clay, uh, we actually backed our car down, and shoot, I forget what we what we ran on on E two. I think we ran a. Uh, we ran a seventy nine with a one, which yes. was which was a good lap because a lot of other cars smoked the tires.
0: Oh sure, there was a lot of tires yeah. smoked that round. There, yeah. there,
1: there was a lot of tires smoked that round, and we put a considerable lap up on the board running the seventy nine. But we actually backed our car down to get on the other side of it too. Like we backed it down because we know it was going to get tricky, and we we thought that we backed down this a, a little bit much, because like, we thought that we could run like maybe a seventy six or seventy seven is what we were trying to do. And then what we did was when we were racing Justin. I can tell you this is that I think we pretty much just left our car alone and uh, and we thought the track was going to hold it because the track was a little bit hotter, but we were super safe in E2. Okay. And and then when we raced him, the track was definitely the trickiest it's ever been was in the semifinals in E3. That was the trickiest the track was all weekend because it threw everybody for a curveball because nobody made it down the track in top fuel. Correct. Because the track the track just... I don't know for whatever reason the UV was at its highest where the sun came out the cloud for its longest or whatever was on the track the track just got it was just different the tack was different even off the start line the start line was very bald so you couldn't get your car going and for a dragster we're always going say you got to get it going if you don't get it going nothing else works because then all the clutch stuff is coming at it where it's trying to make it up and you don't have the vehicle speed so it causes you to spin the tires yeah, it it's not sense. like a funny yeah. car you know what I mean a funny car Works the same, but it's different. Funny car gets the engine up with no clutch on it, and then they slowly let the clutch come to it, and the clutch never comes all the way to it. So they're a lot more... They're for re, The way they run their car, they're a little bit more forgiving when it gets really hot outside like that. Where yeah, got to make big moves.
0: Yeah, you have to get it all early... For the most part, mm. to to make any sort of successful to make any sort of successful effort, um, you know we look at last season of this season. We look at patterns. You know this is a team that hit their licks perfectly last year. You win Topeka, you win Indy, and then you go on to have this great run in the countdown. And and you know you end up sixty two points out of a championship this year. You're on the same path, but man, you are starting in an exponentially better position. You know what I mean? So that's the big the big deal for me when I look at your car is one. I see a team that has once again matured themselves in a season in the right time frame, but then I see this second element that was missing last year, which was that starting position. I mean, you're third in the points. You're, what, two rounds out of first effectively, and maybe less than that if you account for really good qualifying points. So um, I want the perspective from 2022 to 2023 as you enter the the countdown.
1: You know, like the perspective in 2022 – we knew a position we were in and what we were working to do. You know what I mean? And and we got right at the right time. And the the thing our case heel was last year was that uh we just we messed up at one race last year, and that's how crucial these this countdown is. You mess up one race, like we messed up in Vegas where we raced Brittany, who were running against the championship. She ended up going to the final, almost winning that race. If we beat her there, I think we raced her second round. Yes. And and we were way out front, and we just peeled the tires, man. And we were so close to making it. Like, you know, all we had to do in hindsight once we looked at that round, which Grubnick has gotten a lot better on. He used to go out there and destroy people and throw these runs that you never even thought <laughs> right. that could be ran, like when it gets hot out. <laughs> So we're thinking that we need to, and last year it caused by surprises. we thought that we needed to do the same thing. And all he went out there against us is run like a 78, and the light that I cut on Brittany, I could went out there and ran a 384, and we're on the path to run like a 71 or 72 when we could have ran super slow and, and won that round no problem, and it would be a whole different narrative last year, right? So this year we're just coming in with the mindset we're just going to run what the track can hold, and just make our best effort and if somebody throws something else out there that beats us and takes us out we're gonna be a lot more closer to it and that's what I think that we did at the US Nationals where we went out there to say this is what we can run we're gonna run this which should be very competitive and then take our chances off the start line and see if they can leave with us you know what I mean and uh and take it from there I mean like truly honestly with you because you have a lot of drivers that throw it in there deep and they'll have 20, 30, 40 lights and and they're nowhere near in the ballpark. All you got to do is look at the 60 foot and the reaction time and say, okay, yeah, they, they, they rolled it in there a country mile. You know what I mean? So, so the only, like, you know, I've been working hard and uh, we've been working with our car too. And, and Brian and Mark and Brad and all of them guys have been working hard to make our, like our car better in all different aspects. You know what I mean? For it to leave and everything else like that where now we're getting to the nitty gritty of this countdown. And I can cut forty lights, like in the final, I cut a forty flat light, and yes. I cut a thirty-nine light against Justin, even though he was electricity and had a seventeen. But uh but like uh, the difference of it is, that's me staging shallow, blinking above, and that's me seeing yellow and uh, hitting the tree. Yeah. And now, once I get to that zone, and the cars there too, and we're all together, we're gonna we're gonna put up a, a really highly competitive package. That should win eight out of ten times the people who you who you race, and that's yeah. and that's that's been our game plan. Is just put ourselves in that position to take advantage of it.
0: Isn't it crazy that a sport that is so simple in its concept can continue to teach lessons and teach you new things? Whether it's I mean every aspect, but like the amount of time you've been in this sport, how Karate Oswald, all these guys. And yet you still come away from these races having learned something. It seems impossible, but it's actually true, and probably the only way you can win a championship is by continuing that process.
1: You you have to because the thing about it is you have to evolve with the sport. And the sport of drag racing, it evolves every lap. <laughs>
0: to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah.
1: Like you know you know other sports, it evolves through years. Our sport evolves within a race. It evolves every race. That you learn something, even though You've done this stuff over and over and over again. It's always something new, and and our Achilles' heel, I'll be honest with you, is clutch disc. Clutch disc is 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 the big part of the battle for all these race cars now. Yeah, because you can get the same batch, you can get the same flavor, you can get the same everything, and you get them, and you get the second batch of them, and they're different. and and, and, and the way you know it's different because the car tells you when you step on the gas pedal it tells you. So so the, the craziest part is how to manipulate that get enough where you can learn it and it's not saying that the discs are bad or they're good. They're all good discs.
0: No, but they're they're but, they're you know but, they're they're but, made by people so there's some variation in there. Yeah.
1: Well there, there, there's variation in them but they're just like people. They all have a different characteristic <laughs> and you got to make them all get along. You get what I mean? That's that's the difference yeah. that people got like it's not saying, well this disc is bad. That's what caused all of it. No, this disc doesn't go with this group. Yeah. So you got to figure out how to make the group the best it can be together. And for for your application and figure out how to manipulate it. You follow what I mean? So that's that's the difference. That's that's the biggest difference of all of it is trying to navigate that. And then at the same time race and be competitive and figure all this stuff out because you can't do it in two or three laps. It takes laps to get everything together right. You know what I mean? So that's been the struggle and that's the difference from going from 2022 to 2023 is that we made a gallon effort to be competitive this year so we could win races. It's just we could like we won three races this year. I could easily be sitting here and said I could we should be a six time winner or at least a five time winner. But I, we got we got Mike Green and Justin Ashley. You get what I mean? Yeah. So, so, yeah. so the, when people understand that Justin's a great lever, but Mike Ashley and Tommy Delago over there that feels connect with Dustin, that that team is incredible. You know what I mean? Like, I left on Justin a couple races, then they outran us by enough to win. And I'm not talking about like they beat us; it's like they didn't kick, cream us. I'm talking about losing by one point seven thousands and right. losing by thousandths. And I leave on Justin, and the car outran us by a little bit. Then we'll outrun them by like fifteen thousand. Justin Lee's on me by sixteen or seventeen thousand. I'm like, I can't. It's like one of those deals where you're like, all right, we just got to put it all together. And hopefully, in this countdown right now is that I feel though that we're very competitive, and that's the car that you're going to have to go through to win the championship.
0: Yeah, you know I, what got, I mean, I got a real like eerie feeling that this is going to be like an Amato Ormsby deal going down to like that, that end of the night in Pomona. And it's like a cliche thing to say, oh, it always comes down to the end. But when you look at you look at what's going on on the racetrack and you look at just the trends over the last six, eight races, there's nothing that tells me I shouldn't think that you two guys will be the ones that are sawing back and forth at this thing till the last drop. And that doesn't take anything away from Torrance or Brittany or anybody else. But the math, the numbers, and the trends say – that I should be looking at you two as the two that are going to be, you know, knocking each other's uh, eyeballs out here over the next six races.
1: Well, we're going to definitely go after it. The other ones for sure. We're not taking anybody lightly yeah. because because is getting is getting pleisty. his car's running well, yeah. and uh, and he's getting up on the tire. And uh, Brittany, man, I'm, I'm I'm telling you, brother, is like, man, she won that championship last year, and she ain't take the off season off because she won the championship. She went to work because yeah. she can leave with anybody, any any. Anybody when she like when when she wants to. Yeah. She's she's forties and fifties on a tree too now, man. Before that used to be like, hey man, I, I might be able to get her a little bit. She might be sixty yeah. or seventy and I can might get a couple hundred or get fifteen or twenty thou. You know what I mean? No, that, that's not the case no more. The case now is that she'll leave on you and you need to make up fifteen thousand.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, her she's having statistically statistically it's the best season she's had in ten years driving a race car by bar not end the story. Yeah.
1: You you know what I mean? And then you got all the other people and then and then the Doug Coletta deal. Look at Dougie. Right? I mean, God dog, Alan Johnson now is getting that thing zoned in where that thing used to like strike the target to step the throttle. But now he's dropping low E. T. on everybody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean those yeah. those guys to me, those guys and Brittany, you know, Doug's team and Brittany's team are the two the two teams that are like you know uh, you're a martial arts guy but like they're they're big punchers and it's like as you well know you can be a better you can be a better technical fighter than somebody but if they clip you on the chin they can they can put you down so i agree with you yeah, they're, they're dangerous and then and mike salinas you don't know what like mike salinas oh he's gonna go out there and mike... run 339 or something yeah well, i don't even know what that's about Brother, brother, I look at him
1: man and we race him. I, like, I, I've been racing Mike a lot and i see his guys and they t- they talk to me all the time because we're close like Ralph, Lane, Brian and Mark, we all get along and Mike and this whole group over there and all I know is they look at me all the time and goes, A.B., we taking you out. I said, well, I hope we don't race you because I don't want you to take me out because I need to do some work on the other side. So you take everybody else out and, and like hopefully we can race in the final and, and you'll have to take me out in the second, third or fourth round. You know what I mean? But uh, them guys are hungry. And the car is phenomenal. And Mike Mike is on the on the tier where you can see that look in his eyes where they're about to peel off some wins here too, man. So that's – Clay Milliken, like, I, you don't know what you're going to get, bro. Like, I don't care who you line up against, Sean Langdon, all of them. I mean, godly, man. It's yeah. Josh Hart. There's so many great cars out there that – you gotta go in. It's it's a dogfight, man. It's it's a it's gonna be a crazy crazy fight for this championship.
0: It's gonna be great. And I'm gonna leave you with one last question. And I'll let you get back to it. Um, if there is one, I'm gonna say one word. But if there is one mantra or one focal point for this team as it heads into the the playoffs here, what is it?
1: Oh uh, man, our our one mantra. I look at all of our guys, and I always tell them. I said, "Opportunities on the table." Yeah. opportunity is on the table and I said and what do we do and we all look at each other because we don't quit yeah we don't quit and uh and we're just gonna go up here man and we're gonna put our heads down Brian. and all of them know how I operate it doesn't make a difference what it is like on Sunday I don't care how we get there but on Sunday it's game day and in game day just like any NFL football that's about to start this next weekend on any given of Sunday, anybody can win. And I look at our guys and say, Why can't it be us? Yeah. Why not us? Why not us? And I don't care which way we got there, whether it's sixteenth, fifteenth, or we qualify number one. <laughs> right. Don't make a difference, brother. We're here and we keep our head down and we just go out there and let it do what it do. And that's our that's 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 our mantra. That's that's our our deal. Let it do what it do. And that means just put all of our stuff in and
0: get after it well hey man congratulations on the win at the u.s nationals uh, certainly looking forward to seeing how the countdown of the championship's going to play out and great to see that you're going to be once again another big part of that whole deal so uh sending our best to your entire team for a, a weekend that i'm sure none of you will ever forget yes yes i appreciate it brian thank you thank you so much He's Antron Brown, and when we come back, we'll get caught up with Erica Enders, who's coming into her countdown to the championship in third after an early season that was anything but something to brag about. Stay with us. Okay, we are back here for the NHRA Insider Podcast. Had a great conversation with Antron Brown, who enters the countdown as third in the top fuel points. And since we've got to keep a theme up here, I'm going to talk to the driver who enters the countdown third in the pro stock points, which looked like a distant goal early in this season for Erica Enders. How are you doing, Erica?
2: I'm good, Brian. How
0: are you? I'm good. I am good. Um, I want to know how good you are. Like, how good, what does third feel like? Which I know you're not used to third, but third may feel feel better than it might have felt earlier this year.
2: It feels awesome. I mean, in June, I believe we were like 15th in the points before we won Bristol. So um, it seemed kind of far-fetched to be able to enter the countdown in that high of a position. But, you know, we finally pulled things together uh, towards the middle of the summer and, had a couple good races at Bristol and Topeka, and um, you know, went some rounds at the others. So I'm uh, I'm actually thrilled. We're only 32 out of the lead.
0: Yeah, it's it's very very surmountable. You know, when we look at the length of uh, of what the countdown is and how stuff tends to shuffle around, you know, to me it wasn't a turn on a dime type of thing. Uh, you know, the Bristol win was the Bristol win was a, a fight and claw, scratch and get it win. The Topeka win was you know in the middle of the night basically. It was late. It was it was a cool race. <laughs> Um, But this was not one of those week, this was not one of those, say, turnarounds where you guys showed up one weekend and everything was hunky-dory again. You really had to scrap for it.
2: We did. We had to fight tooth and nail for it. And, you know, that's to be expected. It's how pro stock is. And there is no easy side of the ladder. There's not an easy round out there. You know, it used to be you qualified one, two, three, four. You you're probably getting by first round. It's it's a dogfight. So um, yeah, uh, Topeka was. We were super proud of that performance. Based on you know we, we didn't have like a huge performance advantage yeah. by any means, and I had to race a lot of tough people, including Aaron Stanfield and Dallas Glenn and Greg Anderson. And it just was. Uh, it was one of those days where you, you had to earn every bit of it.
0: So when we look at that part of the year that was not so fun to talk about or look back on, you know, you, you had an experience years ago. You guys made a brand switch, and, and it was on paper going to be a great thing, and it turned out to be a not-so-great thing. How much of that experience, like if you had not had the the, the year we shall not speak of season, <laughs> um, did you pull call on any of that? I mean, did you understand this situation better now than you would have previous to that?
2: Yeah, I mean we've we've been through a lot of valleys and you know people are quick to forget that the first 7 years of my career I spent uh trying to claw my way out of a gutter and um you know the first 7 years were winless and the first 7 final rounds were winless so it was uh, it was definitely uh, an, an interesting start Um, But I drove whatever I could, whenever I could. I tried to keep my name and face out there, whether I was going to qualify or not. I was getting seat time when I didn't qualify. I spent Sundays parked on the guard wall watching the other drivers and seeing what they did, seeing if I could learn something. And, you know, and then, uh, you know, going back to Victor Cagnazzi in 2011, 12 and 13, we actually, you know, had a car that was pretty competitive. And I was able to win six races with him before Making the move to Elite Motorsports, and I've spent the last decade with with the Freeman clan, and you know we've won uh, won forty races together, so pretty substantial, and, and five world championships. But um, yeah, there were a lot of those uh, those years that yeah. were not so fun to go through. And the the one that you speak of, the Dodge year, the most recent one in two thousand and sixteen, it just. You know, it's gut wrenching and it's but you have to keep the right attitude about it. Did we did we enjoy sucking? Absolutely not. But we <laughs> oh gosh, made it as yeah, as fun as possible and you know, we joked with ourselves about it. We went from number one in the world to number nine and ten in the world with Jed Coughlin and it, it just was one of those deals we had to get through and and then after it was over, we you know, we spent the next two years catching up. So it's just it's one of those deals that ended up costing us three or three or four years. But yeah. But here we are on the other side, and it's it's perfect proof why you don't ever give up, why you don't ever quit. And, you know, that would have torn a lot of teams apart, but it made us stronger.
0: You mentioned, uh, you know, the tight nature of pro stock racing, which is, which is what we've come to expect in this kind of modern age. You know, as good a season as Dallas has had, and it's been a great season. He's earned every inch of being the number one guy going into the countdown. It has not been... A dominating season. At times, it's looked like it, but it's not necessarily gone all that way. And so, when you kind of survey the landscape here, um, you're you have been in the last half decade or so the person that we have often talked about as having a dominating season coming into the countdown. And it's like this odds-on favorite thing. I don't necessarily think it looks that way this year. And I'm not taking anything away from Dallas, but I just can't necessarily look at you. I can't look at Hartford, and I can't look at Dallas and say. There's the runaway freight train. That's the one we got to watch. So what's your opinion there? I mean, I know you always bet on yourself, which is what you have to do if you're going to be a champion in anything. But what's your opinion in terms of what needs to happen over this countdown? And will this be a situation where we see a clear frontrunner emerge right off the bat?
2: Uh, well I think you hit the nail on the head there it's definitely not a runaway a runaway season but Dallas has done an excellent job and you look at his history and what he's been able to accomplish when given the opportunity to get in state of the art equipment with great horsepower and and he's done a fantastic job um he I'm sure will continue to be a front runner um you know and you can't you can't ride off Aaron Stanfield and TJ Coughlin right. from on the dark side either uh, and and hopefully including myself, but um you know we just gotta we gotta hit the ground running and running it's it's really hard to recover from a bad race at the beginning of the countdown, but it has been done, it can be done, um but we'd much rather start off on the right foot um you know where where it differs is that you think of the mindset and how long certain people have been doing it and what you have to face like this is the time of the year where i go to sam's and i buy like that family-sized jug of tums because you stretch yourself
1: <laughs> out to the
2: max But that's something that these newer drivers are going to have to experience because Dallas is in the position that I was in last year, right? Like You have a substantial lead going into the countdown, and it's all taken away. And even though you don't think that way, you kind of think that way, like this is mine to lose even though it's not yours. And I had that mindset last year, and I (laughs) had never been so nervous, I don't think, in my career as I was when we stepped foot on property in Reading last year. So those are all the things that are going to come into play Is going to be you know, being able to perform well under pressure, not allowing the nerves to get the better of you, which is, as you know, way easier said than done. It's it's really tough out there and it's really tough to do a great job every single time. So I think it's going to be exciting. I think there are, you know, four or five drivers that are going to have a great shot at, at winning the world this year.
0: So... I want to talk about a moment that a lot of people have been chatting about, good, bad, or otherwise. You were you were fired <laughs> up. You were fired up. And I want to get into this a little bit, not to make you uncomfortable, but I think it's worth exploring a little bit. So you, you, you obviously, you get out of a race car. Adrenaline is at level 10. You get a question that doesn't necessarily rub you the right way. In fact, I think it rubbed you like 80 grit sandpaper. Yes. And you gave us a fired up answer on it. And there's a lot of people that have been chirping about it. But I kind of want... I don't want an explanation. I don't want an apology, but I want to get in your mind in the moment of standing there and hearing those words, whether they were the right words or the wrong words. But I, I just want to know what kind of fires off in your brain in that moment. Cause I've never been in that position of like high tension, high everything. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, what did you just say? Like I've never, I've never been there. So I want to know what that, what the, what the brain synapses were that fired off. Well,
2: <laughs> I'm protecting what's mine, right? And I felt like, I don't know how to say this politically correct, so I'm just going to talk to you. But I just, you get out of the race car, right? Your adrenaline's at an all time high. You're at the U.S. Nationals. It's points and a half. It's the final pre- uh, preseason race before the countdown starts. There's a lot on the line and there's a lot of pressure. But going back before all of that starts, people don't understand what it takes to do this. From the business side of things. Before you ever can get in the car and put your seatbelts and your helmet on, you got to raise a few million dollars. You got to right. put a, an amazing team together. You have to buy state of the art equipment and run 56 people up and down the road. And I'm in charge of all of the logistics for that. And, you know, Richard and I are in charge of finding all the sponsorship funding to get this done. Contrary to popular belief, I do not have a silver spoon <laughs> tub somewhere. And I've had to work <laughs> for this. So backing up and get and covering all of that like you're taking a shot at something that took 30 years to get done and here we are in this moment and yes i've been struggling the class collectively if you if you back up and look at it the reaction times aren't as great as they were before because we're running these cars way different than they were and that's something that these other know-it-alls have no no idea about so i get out of the car and that's the third time in 24 hours that she asked me a question that was negative and based upon my reaction times and I had just had enough so I was already having a, a tough weekend anyway um, you know with testing and trying to figure things out before we got to Indy with my reaction time stuff and it not going to plan and there's just a lot that goes into it so it's not just Erica's a bitch and she just popped off at, at Amanda Busick that's not what happened there's a lot that led up to it and and I felt like a shot was being taken at all of our hard work so it is what it is i'm over it i wish the entire internet world would (laughs) would get over it but somebody else will screw up here in a few minutes and it'll be there 15 minutes of fame so
0: (laughs) no it's and listen I, i i appreciate you answering the question and and to me it's like we always strike this great balance or the fan base wants to strike this great balance of we want the drivers to say just enough but we don't want them to say everything and, yeah. you know, and, and it, that's what always cracks me up, where it's like I, I run into so many fans. I was actually having a conversation with a with a woman uh, in the Top Eliminator Club at Indy after we did the, the funny car call-out thing. And she said to me, she said, you know, since Fox has taken over, you guys don't show the little guys anymore. I said, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, so did ESPN do a better job? ESPN did such a better job showing the little guys. It's like, well, give me an example. And, of course, there's no example. And we have – 500 more hours a year of coverage than than we ever did in the past we show more of everybody than we can we cannot physically show every single person every weekend and so but it's it it, i'm speaking back to your point of this like perception thing where um i want my drag racers and my drag racing to be this very specific certain thing and when it's not that someone's gonna hear about it i'm gonna yell as loud as i can into the internet and (laughs) <laughs> for for you guys that drive these things that are the actual, you know, star power of the sport, you get it a lot more than, than anybody else, meaning the the high level competitive drivers. And so, you know, in 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 the backside of this whole thing, when something like this happens, like what is the team response? So those guys, do they just say, Hey, listen, stop listening to the noise, blow it off, let it roll off your back? Like, what does Ingersoll say? What does Clint say? What do these guys say?
2: Well, they obviously are all, all in my corner and it's not one against the other by any means, but it's, it's always the people that know the least that have the most to say. And it's going to continue to be that way, but because we're, they're given a platform to spew whatever hate or, um, discontent that they have with zero consequence and that's just the way that the social media world works but my guys are obviously just like they're of course they're like why are you so mad about it just tell her oh man I meant I meant to be 80 up there and I was 67 I crushed it right right. like just come back with a smart ass comment but I just I'm I am so involved in this and you know it's kind of one of those deals you can't see the forest through the trees I just I want to do so well I want to make everyone proud and I just wish people had a little bit more compassion. And and in the moment, and it's heated, and the adrenaline's flowing. And I made a mistake and said, you know, I've done it five times in a row. Well, I didn't. I didn't mean that. Obviously, I. We were the best five times, and we have five world championship rings to prove that because those five years we were the best. I wasn't. I'm not high on myself. I'm not cocky. I'm. I'm actually a pretty humble, kind person. You know me personally, and it just. It just you get shown like just a fragment of a second on TV and the entire world all of a sudden has a, a horrible opinion of you and they're burning the Eric Enders t-shirts across the country. So,
0: well, look, no know. one has, the, the one thing I've done more in drag racing than you is misspoken on television. So, uh, <laughs> so there was one, there is one thing I'll always be able to hold over your head in that respect. And, and you're right. And it, it, you know, it's, it's something that, um, it's something that is interesting How how you react to it. My first year, I would like get run over and just like get crushed. Like, what am I even doing here? Like, what am I even bothered to do this for? Because everybody thinks I'm horrible at it. But to your point, it is the people that you actually work with. The people that you have your time invested with are the ones that ultimately in this scenario matter. Right.
2: Uh, and that's all that matters are my, my guys, my partners, my all my sponsors. Everybody's great with it. My family, I have a, a huge support group, and it is what it is, right? And like I said earlier, it'll be gone in 13 milliseconds anyways. But it just is one of those deals that unless you're in that situation, you'll never understand, and, and maybe people should maybe be a little more quiet sometimes. I don't know.
0: <laughs> so we go back to one. I want to double back to the countdown here just for the last minute or two before I let you go. And the the first thing I want to talk about in this, in this Pro Stock countdown is uh, St. Louis. Because to me, um, in many of your championship seasons, St. Louis has always been this bellwether, right? St. Louis, to me, has always been an Erica race. So when you look at how the countdown lays out, is that one that you pay specific attention to? Just on a personal level, is that a place you look at and go, you know what? As long as I'm good here, then everything's going to be okay? <laughs>
2: Well, my sister always has this line: "It all changes in St. Louis," and we've been super fortunate to to be very successful there and in Las Vegas as well. Um, I think we're the winningest pro driver at both yeah. of those race tracks, so that's pretty pretty cool. And it's nice to have both both of those places where you typically do well um, be counted in the countdown. So, so yes and no. And, and on the other side of that, um, in Reading, it was it was one of those races where i had never really done well at and then so last year coming into the countdown as i mentioned i was nervous that was the first race i want to start off well on the right foot i'm like if i can get out of here with a semi-final finish i'll be really freaking happy because usually we we had lost first and second round um at that track prior so yes and no but i think we're just going to go in with the mindset that we just got to do our very best not let any opportunities slip through our fingers. Um, you know, parts failure has been a huge issue uh, with us this season. I, I lost twice to Dallas. On both times, we had them covered substantially um, with a transmission failure in high gear. So it was just, uh, it's just one of those things. You just everything has to go your way. A lot went my way last year, and um, we're gonna, we're gonna dogfight for this thing this year.
0: What did you say, if anything, and I don't know how much conversation, I know some drivers like to talk to people before around, round, some people like to be isolated, but what did you say to Fernando Jr. either before, if, if not both, before and or after the final if you talked to him at all?
2: I did. I, I absolutely talked to those boys. I take a lot of pride in, you know, teaching them and, and having them in my corner as well. But Fernando had his first final round appearance at, uh, I think it was the Four Rides in Charlotte earlier this year. And he red lit. And um, I reminded him that my first my first final against Jason Line in 2005 in Chicago, I was like a 100-something red. Like, you just, the nerves get the better <laughs> right. of you. Yeah. You, you kind of get stuck thinking, like, I've, I've, worked my whole life for this moment right here and you look up and there's tv cameras shoved everywhere and there's fans in the stands and i just told him to to put the blinders on if he can keep his head right there's no reason why he can't win this race. And even if he doesn't, look at what we've accomplished in one week. We took him out of a Mustang. We put him, yeah. we went and bought our, one of our old RJ Camaros back from West Buck's dad. And we put him in that car and made some test runs in Tulsa. And in one week's time, he's in the final round at the U.S. National. So I think that's something to be really proud of. And, yes, we talked afterwards, as, as disheartening as a loss is, um, you know, it's, it's tough on a one-lane racetrack on Sunday, but it, it is what it is. And he's done such a fantastic fantastic. fantastic job all those boys have so um yeah if i like to offer all of my advice that i've been through the last 20 years both negative and positive and just say you know this isn't you're right here in this moment it is so hard to get here let's make it count so
0: it's cool and it's uh that's that's a neat insight and you know to me it's like it's one of those things that um having Having somebody that is not only just a, a mentor or whatever, but is actually part of the same team, I think, is has got to be a huge moment. And listen, that guys do, his brothers do. They have all the talent in the damn world. I mean, they're super fun to watch race. They're they're aggressive. They attack, um, and ultimately, they'll be uh, they'll be in the winner's circle come one of these days, probably. I yeah,
2: I agree with you a hundred percent. And you keep an eye on you know Junior on Christian on Bo Butner on Jerry Don Tucker. Those are four of our nine cars that are right around that 10th, 11th, 12th position. You know, if those guys go some rounds and have some good races, there will be some pretty big players that are going to be outside the top 10 come the end of the year if all things go right. So, Listen, I think Jerry, it's Jerry
0: be Tucker, top- you know, to me, not to interrupt you, but Jerry Tucker is a guy who's obviously going to be in the conversation for Rookie of the Year and not the guy. The guy is an experienced race car driver in all these other realms, but – I, I have been very complimentary of him this year for good reason because he's earned it. I mean, that guy from Gainesville forward has not looked like a rookie in any sense. He does not make bad decisions. Again, he goes up to the starting line, is as competitive as anybody else in the entire category. And it's uh, he has been a really fun guy to watch this year. As a relative unknown coming in, he has established himself, and it's been cool. Well,
2: I agree with you, and thank you for saying that. If And if we gave him a horse to ride, he'd – did turn on a lot more beacons than he has so far, but we're definitely working on that. And um, he's just a he's just a pure race car driver. He can get in anything and, and do well. So um you know, I've been I've been really really proud of him, and I taught him from day one. So it's uh, it's been exciting to watch him come into his own. And he had a great race in Chicago. Went I think he went to the semifinals, and his parents were there watching. So it was just a really cool deal. But um, we're looking very forward to sticking a lot of our our customers in the winter circle as soon as we can.
0: Well, Erica, thanks, as always, for your candor. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Good luck in the countdown. It is going to be be a chaos machine over the next six races, and we're going to find out who will be uh, steering that chaos machine at Pomona. So thank you very much.
2: It'll be a lot of fun. Thank you, Brian.
0: When we come back, we'll wrap this episode of the NHRA Insider up with some final thoughts as we get ready for Maple Grove Raceway and the Pep Boys Nationals. Don't go anywhere. All right, we are back here on the NHRA Insider Podcast, going to wrap things up. I think those are two really insightful conversations, obviously getting the inside scoop on Antron's weekend and kind of how he perceives the countdown and what he's looking at as far as his team, their performance, and what needs to happen for him to go from a number 2 finisher in 22 to a champion in 23. was great, and to talk to Erica was great. I, I do appreciate her candor when... When uh, I, I call her and I say, hey, I'd love to have you on the show to talk about stuff. And it's like, are we going to talk about the interview? It's like, of course, we're going to talk about the interview. And I'm glad she gave us the background and her and her kind of context in that moment. I don't, you know, one of the things that makes drag racing very unique in terms of media and how we cover it is the fact that uh, we interview the players as the game is going on. And pro sports are getting a little bit more towards that way, although Mike players up and this and that and the other thing. But um, when we uh, nobody runs up to a quarterback uh, after throwing an interception or after throwing a 90 yard Hail Mary and ask them questions in that exact moment. So there is an interesting dynamic that happens in drag racing that is that is unlike anything else that happens in sports. So you have to give some credit to a driver who a um, is fired up. They all should be getting out of a race car. I always give credit to the drivers who, when they come out on the wrong side of one, stand in there and answer the questions that we pose to them at the top end. And so I just like the idea of learning more about that moment, learning more about the the physicality, the mental part of it, all of it that goes into this situation when we plunk a camera in your face and start firing questions at you. So that was great. Uh, It was really cool to learn that kind of uh, insight about that particular situation so next week will be our countdown preview show we will talk about the pep boys nationals at maple grove raceway in redding pennsylvania we will get geared up we will get excited and we will talk about the last home stretch six races remain in these nhra this nhra camping world drag racing season of course we go to maple grove we go to charlotte we go to st louis we go to dallas we go to vegas and we go to pomona And then we go to an award ceremony that hands out big checks and championship trophies. Thanks for listening to this episode or watching this episode of the NHRA Insider. If you're catching us on NHRA.tv or the other locations, you can see us. It's always a pleasure to talk to our racers. Always a pleasure to talk about the U.S. Nationals. And man, I am fired up for the countdown. It is going to be fantastic. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week.